Is there one mission that really stands out in your mind, Stats? Yeah, my first job, the biggest improvised explosive device that was ever recorded in the capital. It was gonna be a multi-staged attack across friendly forces camps. The implications strategic were so high, everybody was watching this job. Have you ever been close to dying anywhere? Oh, mate, I mean, for me personally, I was flown up in a wagon. I've had parachute failures and... Hold on a minute, hold on. You had parachute failures? Yeah, Afghanistan was so busy. So we're sneaking through the, the kind of hornet's nest, if you mm. will, hunting high-value targets, doing some incredible missions. Where we are right now in this world, what we're doing, what we're striving towards valiantly through hardship and endeavour and all this kind of stuff, don't take the easy options mm. ever. Don't look for a easy shortcut. That's not the way that we do things. Just remember yeah. that the hard road will take you home. Welcome to the Eventful Lives podcast. I'm your host, Dodge, and I'm the founder of Bournemouth Sevens, the world's largest sports and music festival. On this podcast, I speak to fascinating people who have all lived eventful lives. If you haven't already, do us a favour, press the follow button and check us out at Dodge Woodall on Instagram, TikTok and YouTube, where we've now had over 80 million views. Staz is a Special Forces sniper after spending 10 years in the SBS. He returns for part two and delves deeper into his first missions, being blown up on the front line, parachute failures and hunting down high value targets. This is the eventful life of Anthony Stazica. Again, part two, mate. There's been lots of people been asking for this for the last couple of years, and we finally got around to doing it, mate. Yeah, I mean, what is it? Almost two two years. Yeah, two years ago, almost yeah. to the yeah. day. Yeah, and it's got like five hundred, half a million views on YouTube. Your mate, episode. That's crazy. It is crazy. crazy it's crazy. But people want more. People want more of the stories. And obviously, we're talking about through dark, which we're now uh, partners. Yeah, which is a lovely thing to work partnership with you guys and our and and, and our podcast. Mate, that's brilliant. And, and thank you as well to uh, to you guys here as well for supporting. You've been, obviously, we're local. We know each other. It's such a natural kind of collaboration yeah, and partnership great. for us anyway. But totally thank you. Great. Thank mate, you. nice one, mate. So let's, um, let's roll all the way back. We're not going to go to where you were growing up and stuff because we've done all that. Let's, let's go back to when you joined the Royal Marines. What year was that? And then I'd like to work through or sort of going into the Special Forces and doing your 10 years in the Special Forces. And then we'll yeah. move on to the last five years in business and life and books and everything, TV series and all that. So let's, let's go back to the Royal Marines. What sort of, how old were you when you joined the Royal Marines? Yeah, okay. So I joined the Royal Marines in 2005. I was about 21, 22 years old. Uh, I'm shit at maths. Um, and I guess at that time in my life, you know, just finishing college, I was in yeah, working a, a job. I was a personal trainer, gym instructor, local sort of council-run gym, and was just sort of, feeling like there was more, more to fucking life, more yeah. to be had. And I started looking into the military and options there and obviously wanted to do the hardest thing I could fucking find. Uh, so it was, for me, it was the Marines or the Parrots, mm -hmm. you know, both had uh, amazing reputations. And the guy, when I went into the Armed Forces Careers Office was a Royal Marine, so kind of steered me down that, that path. And also at the time, Second Gulf War was kicking off, so things in Iraq were really sort of heating up. Um, so yeah, I think for me, that sort of calling sort of, uh, you know, it was something that was interesting to me and something that offered me an outlet external of where I currently was geographically in terms of location. I just wanted to get out, get out, see the world and try something different, but also push myself as well. Mm -hmm. So the Marines was that. 
I uh, signed up for the, the, the course. Uh, in fact, before that, you do a, a potential Royal Marines course. It's sort of a week. You go down to Limpston, the Commando Training Center, and you spend a week down there getting beasted, sort of give you a bit of a flavor as to kind of what the training will be like, what the instructors are like, and all that kind of stuff. So did that, passed it, uh, quite enjoyed it. Um, and then after that, did all the fitness tests, past all that stuff and then before I knew it mate I was kind of bright eyed bushy tail clean shaven turning up on the um, there's a train that sort of runs into uh, the station it's got its own station at, at the commando training centre uh, at Limston it's right on the bottom field the bottom field's where they thrash all the people doing all the assault course bits and pieces and I remember stepping off at that station and you're only getting off at that station if, <laughs> if you're going into yeah. the, the commando training centre and with sort of similarly looking people you know again all clean shave generally young you know, uh, fit guys, and we step off, sort of oversized suit on, just massively um, out of your comfort zone, just sort of not really understanding what you're about to embark on. And yeah, it's a 32 week, I say basic infantry course. It's the longest infantry course in the in the British military. Um, and then yeah, off I went for fucking 32 weeks there into into the Royal Marines kind of system. And and for me personally, it was. Looking back now, it was really formative. It really sort of shaped me as a person and my character uh, and my characteristics, my kind of core beliefs and everything else. It sort of set me up for for huge success moving forward. And, and I can sort of say that now looking back. You know, at the time, things are sometimes shit, aren't they? And you kind of got to go through that process and understand a little bit about yourself and, and understand why you're doing things. And at the time, it doesn't sort of, um, it doesn't always make sense. Uh, but for me, I, I just I fucking enjoyed it. Mm. I enjoyed, uh, like I say, this whoosh, love the mm. self-flagellation. But I loved pushing myself physically and mentally, and I felt like I was in a in a place where I belonged. If that makes sense. That's nice to hear, man. And how long were you in the Marines for? So total time in the Marines was about three years. So after that thirty-two weeks training, you know, I, um, uh, I was an original, so I kind of went from. Day one, week one, all the way through 32 weeks, uh, without thankfully without getting injured, probably more more luck than anything. And I was also awarded like the, the King's Badgeman. So I was like the top recruit. I was the fittest guy in the troop. So I was kind of thinking, fucking hell, this is me. This is this is wicked. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I think there's a lot to be said in terms of my background, obviously with playing football before. Yeah. And generally the lads that do quite well are guys that have just not made it in professional sport. There's a lot of like ex-rugby guys yeah. and football and uh, gym instructor, all that kind but of I've stuff. But I've got the mentality to really push. Yeah, yeah but yeah, also yeah. probably have something else going on as well where you're kind of, a bit of a stray, a bit of, you don't really fit in, you know, you're just going to get in trouble if you sort of stay in your mm. normal uh, environment in, in your town or your village or wh wherever you're from. And, you know, for me, Mansfield was all, it was all just scrapping and boozing all the time. Mm. And it just, for me, it was an outlet. So I found this fucking new world, uh, loved it, passed the Royal Marines. And then in January of 06, I was down um, or posted to Taunton. So 40 Commando, uh, Royal Marines. And then I was in Bravo Company. And then I met some amazing people, Louis Tinsley being one of those. Yeah. Uh, he's obviously the co-founder of Through Dark, yeah. a really good mate of mine. Great lad. Yeah. Do you know what I have to say about that? When Louis, when we did the the joint moment view and Louis a, a while back or a month or so back ago, how well he spoke. Yeah. Yeah. Come across really well. And yeah. you, you really complement each other well, I noticed. Yeah, well, in business you. and in and in a, in a three-way conversation. Yeah, thank you. That's, yeah. that's super kind as mm. well. But um, yeah, I think it was sort of meeting Louis. Uh, sort of, you do that in life, don't you? You meet certain people and, and characters that you think 
he's a fucking good dude. Yeah. And you sort of, you know, and you know, yeah. and you get that feeling and then you sort of stick together and you yeah. kind of um, sort of connect in that, mm-hmm. in that way. And other people that were also in the same company at Middleton, you know, and a few other people that have, have since gone on to special forces as well. What's he there. like? And I've heard there's so many mixed reviews you're hearing of people saying oh, about our mental and is this, is this, what actually is he like yeah, as a so bloke? If, uh, from my personal yeah. um, take on Ant, yeah. I fucking love the bloke. Yeah. He's such a, a, an amazing person, you know, he's kind, very generous, very thoughtful. Uh, he was a consummate professional. So when yeah. we were in the special forces, he was one of the people and bearing in mind that special forces are the top tier of people. Yeah. It's kind of like now you're selecting from the best of the best in yeah. England. And if you had to t- ask me, stars out of all these fucking blokes, you can only pick a f- five, six man team. He would have been on my team. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, he was fucking very, very good at the job. Um, and a fucking fun person to be around. Super yeah. positive. His energy is incredible. He's Brilliant. somebody when he's in a room that you just want to fucking be around. And um, I liked him. Uh, and I still like him so now. Where do, so where did these come from then? So you know what it is, mate. You've had it as well. Mm. It's a fucking green-eyed monster. Mm. And a lot of these people, if they... There's things that people say and do and the way that they act. And, you know, I think for some people, they just want to be fucking upset. Yeah. You know, they just want to be angry. They, they, they want to be negative for no reason. They've got a fucking shit life. Yeah. They're not happy with their fucking fill. And what they do is they just project that outwardly, yeah. you know, and it's, it's, it's savage to see. And it's, yeah. uh, I just feel bad for people like that mm. for, the, for the most part. But half done well for himself, isn't he? Oh, exactly. Fair play to him. Fair play, Fair play to him, yeah. fuck does he fuck yeah. me? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's a good thing. But, but that's hard, mate, because yeah. that's something you've got to wrestle with yourself yeah. uh, on a personal level, you know, because, you know, we've been through that as well. Me and Louis, you leave that fucking world, you know, that echo chamber and that bubble of special forces. And it's a it's a safe environment in terms of, you know, you've achieved all these things. You've got to the pinnacle, the very top of your game. And you then sort of say, actually, I'm going to fucking step away from yeah. this now. And that's difficult. It's like you know, professional sport as yeah. well. You kind of, you don't want to get off that train, yeah. but you know you have to at some point. And it's a brave call to do that. And... With that comes, you know, some some of the negativity towards, you know, what you're doing, what your thought process is. But you now these people that complain, like, I, who fucking cares? The majority of people have shitty comments online, yeah. social media. If I'm not fucking ringing you for your advice, yeah. then don't I don't fucking care yeah. what you're saying. I don't, mm. You know, it's not a trusted opinion. Was was Ant Middleton in the SAS or SBS? He was SBS. SBS. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, so based down here, both myself and Louis were, yeah. were also SBS as well. So that was quite funny to see how that, how we went through that journey together in the Marines. In fact, Ant was in training with me as well. So there's troop numbers and they're um, separated by two week period. So every two weeks there's a new uh, troop or a new influx of uh, recruits. And we were sort of two weeks apart from each other. So we were all the way through training in the same block. So I kind of saw him there as well. And what was interesting about Ant was that he, he'd already sort of passed or done all that his P company sort of training. So he, he was a, um, a recruit, yeah. but he got to wear his wings, mm. which was would never been seen before. Mm. So everybody was kind of the fuck is this guy? He's got some of the Royal Marines yeah. instructors didn't even have their wings. Yeah. So it was unusual, but so he came in with a, you know, a different kind of uh, standpoint. He'd already had that experience in the military. And was well. he a couple of years ahead of you, was he? What in the, so in the Marines, two weeks, we, two were, weeks, okay. we were within two weeks yeah. of each other. And then we went to the same company uh, and then we did uh, like deployments and, and bits and pieces together. We went out training Sierra Leone, did all this fucking cool stuff together. And then he went on selection about six months, I think, before me. Yeah. I then went and did my sniper course when I was in the Royal Marines. And then I went into special forces. But before that, in that three year period in the Royal Marines, I guess the the main thing for me and the why do you want to go and progress? Yeah. And you, it, it's, it's a difficult one because... It's a, you know, when you 
when you pass the Royal Marines uh, course to be a, a commando, it's a fucking privileged day. It's 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 amazing, and you get the coveted green beret. So the the beret that you wear, you know the the Royal Marines, the, the globe and laurel, the cap badge. You get yeah. your stable belt. You get your commando flashes on your uniform, and you're fucking proud. You know yeah. you stand in your necks in the back of your collar. You're fucking. It's a proud fucking day. Mm. And then you go into the Royal Marines, and you think that's it. Let's have it. You know where everybody's the same. But it actually wasn't, you know, there are people doing different things and there's different varying levels of, mm -hmm. of, of, of people in there. And that's not me, not me slating people in the Royal Marines, but it's the same across the board, across the paras, across the army, infantry and all this. You get people that want to be there and want to do the top pinnacle of that job and other people that just kind of want an easy day. They yeah. want to be a driver or a chef or yeah. a fucking clerk. And that's not needed. what they did. Exactly. Yeah, they yeah, play okay. a vital role. Where did you know you had a good shot? How old were you? Did you know before you went into the Marines you were a good shot or did you realise when you were there no, you were a good no. shot here? No, no, apart from being... Uh, uh, probably a little uh, mischievous individual as a kid with mm. a fucking catapult and an air <laughs> rifle. <laughs> but, uh, no, I didn't. And, yeah. and, and so when I, I didn't do any um, like air cadets and yeah. fucking marine cadets yeah. and all this kind of stuff, it just fucking didn't interest me. Beavers, all that shit. It didn't, didn't interest me. So when I joined the Marines, it's Beavers? Beavers, yeah. <laughs> Got my puffing 25 meter badge. <laughs> Still attached to my trunk. Trunk job, <laughs> budgie smugglers. Yeah, yeah. yeah which are coming out soon. Budgie smugglers. Yeah. Are you doing yeah, budgie smugglers? Yeah, are, are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mate, we'll go on to that in a bit. Yeah, we will. Um, <laughs> got this image now. Yeah, fucking brilliant. In so, fact, the last time I saw you budgie smugglers, we were skiing. Yes. Were they fruit dogs? Yeah. Or were they budgies? Yeah, they I can't were. remember. No, they, they were. were they were the sample. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. You've been blessed. Yes. Well, happy days, mate. Scarred. Blessed, Scarred. No, but so shooting wise, you go yeah. into the Marines and it's part of it, your training. You know, that's when you get introduced to a rifle and everything else. You start shooting. And I very quickly picked it up. I was quite proficient. Um, then when I left sort of training, went into the Marines, clearly there's standards that you do and uh, and all the other courses and bits and pieces. And But towards the end, the latter end of the, the sort of three years, I'd been on an operational tour with the Marines in Kabul, which was interesting. Uh, I think I mentioned that as well uh, in my book that about the kind of first experience that I had of a contact because you can do all this fucking training in the yeah. world and you know you kind of know what you're doing but you don't yeah. if that makes sense yeah. you're training in the Marines and I remember one day we we're on the on the on the shooting ranges uh, way out fucking wherever and we're all doing these things we're shooting and, and the targets are metal they're falling when hit and or missed mm -hmm. <laughs> you know so you, you're going through these drills and it's but you have to put the connect the dots connect mm -hmm. the bullet to the gun and fucking hell it's, we're, we're training here to shoot and kill people yeah. it's fucking serious business yeah. but you're still not connected that physically because all you're doing in training is shooting at fucking metal targets mm. So you kind of run through this, and there's one day you're doing bayonets, you know, a bayonet, yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a, a knife that's attached yeah, to the end yeah. of your rifle for close quarter, kind of trench fighting or or close up urban fighting, and we're doing these drills and we're running in and we're ah, doing the screaming, show me your war face, <laughs> and then you run over and you and you're you're you know you're attacking a sandbag that looks like a person, you know, that's kind of filled out, and you know you're going in with a bayonet, ah, war cries. And you sort of stood back. And I remember stood, stood back 21 years old, just looking at other people do it and having this sort of weird moment yeah. of, what the what fuck am I, do yeah. am I doing? And and what are they doing? <laughs> right, sure, go stars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> ah. And I was like, this is fucking bizarre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, it, but it, it, the penny drops almost of, fuck, mm. we're training to fucking do that to mm. people, you know. But that's the that's the ultimate reality of, of war. So for you then, going on a tour as a Royal Marine, what was that like? It was um, sensory overload. It's probably the best way to explain it. There's so much to do, so much going on. There's so much 
things that you're thinking about in terms of your job. What, what's my role? What's my, what specifically am I being asked to do within the team? Yeah. And then you go out and you roll out of the gate. You're in these kind of semi-armored vehicles. and But, you know, you, you've got your weapons as people. You're navigating to places. It's all new sights, smells, environments. Yeah. It's a different culture. You know, it's a dangerous place, you know. and you, But you're fucking wet behind the ears, mate. Mm. And you do not know what the fuck is going on. Yeah. And then the first time you have you know, a contact. So contact is initiated usually from the enemy. So mm. you'll be fired at, or it'll be an RPG, a rocket. For me, it was a, an RPG, so a rocket propelled grenade yeah. uh, that was fired at us, landed just off about 20 meters, mm. hit a wall, and then an IED went off. We were kind of driving into an ambush. Wow. And then we sort of debus. And I just remember fucking looking around because the, the vehicles are magnets, they're bullet magnets. Yeah. That's, what's, that's what they're gonna be firing at. So very quickly, you get away from that fucking, that magnet. Mm look around, find some cover, a fucking ditch, a, a bit of hard cover, a big rock, a building, a mm. corner, whatever that is. Mm. But also being aware and situationally, situationally aware of where everybody else is. Yeah. And the first time it happens, it's like, have you ever been in a boxing room? Have you ever mm. boxed with people? Mm. The first time you do, I remember doing it as a kid and you don't know what the fuck, you just no. tunnel yeah. vision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, when the bell goes all the, for, to finish, you don't know where the fucking corner is. Yeah. And that's four corners. Now you add more layers of complexity with people, weapons, a fucking different environment. Yeah. And you're fucking scared. Mm. You know, it's a scary environment. Mm. So we, we sort of get into these positions. I'm trying to dig a hole in my chin. Everybody else has got, it's one of those things. It's like um, musical chairs. Mm. When you quick raise to the chair, <laughs> he's got the best cover. He's got the best cover. <laughs> Fuck, I've got no cover. <laughs> Get the chin like a out. Really shit game of musical chairs. Get your fucking chin, chin out. out. <laughs> fucking, so you're in the prone yeah, position. Yeah. And then you wonky helmet on. And then you're like, looking out, where's the enemy? Because mm. it's not fucking obvious. Yeah. I'm not on a range anymore. I'm not on a gallery range where there's a target at a fixed location, distance-wise, yeah. that looks like a metal target. Mm. And you just think, wow. And then you're looking at other people and you try, everyone's shouting, screaming, your comms, you've got, you know, communications going off. Yeah. It's all fucking chaos. And where's the enemy? Anybody seen, not seen, anybody fucking people are firing and there's more bullets and things going off. And it's, it's chaos, mate. It really is. Yeah, and, and you think before you go into that, that you're going to be cool, calm, collected. You're going to go through these drills and these procedures that you've run through before and you don't. Yeah. So was there a period when you were there then looking around going, what's the next step? I'm in the champ, I'm in the premiership of what I'm doing, how do I get to the Champions League to get well, into special forces and stuff? What, what, what triggered well, you to... That takes fucking time. Because during that time when I was digging the fucking hole with my yeah. chin, I was thinking I was Conference League, you know. Yeah, but okay. At that time, you're sort of not really thinking about the next steps. You're just kind of, you're building yourself and your experience through experience doing yeah, you know okay. that experience is times a thousand yeah. equals experience you yeah. have to become experienced you have to build brick by brick mm. contact by contact all these different things so by the end of that tour towards the end um one of our roles was to look after the camp security so they'd have towers up in the camps and we would man it and it was all kind of rotated and take times between whatever you were doing and I was on the, I remember being on the front gate of the camp, of the British camp. Uh, so any sort of ingress, egress of vehicles that were coming in and out of the camp, um, we would have to check. So it's mm. kind of the bollards, there's a sort of chicane that slows the traffic down, where their weapons kind of get out, show me your ID, who are you, where the fuck are you going? Yeah. That kind of usual jazz. Yeah. Name's not down, you're not coming in, yeah. <laughs> sort yeah. of thing. These two uh, vehicles rolled in like, um, high like high luxes, like four by fours, just kind of pickup trucks. Mm. And there's two of them, and there's about six to eight guys in there. 
they jump out. They sh- we can see that they're British. Uh, they're wearing fucking jeans, like approach shoes, uh, flannel shirts. They've got different caches on. The caches are mm. like body armor and things that carry your magazines and at ra- different radio systems, different weapon systems, mm. beards, mm. long hair, caps, sunglasses, cool as fuck. Yeah. I was like, who the fuck are these guys? <laughs> I was. It, well, yeah. I, it wasn't until, you know, they got their ID out and it was obviously British, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Didn't ask any questions. In you go. And I remember them sort of going through and they were super polite, really humble guys, addressed everybody, looked at everybody, spoke to everybody really well. And then, and then in they went to the camp to, to, to do whatever they were doing in their meeting. And I remember at that time sort of thinking, who the fuck are those mm. guys? And I remember speaking to one of the other guys to sign me like, who the fuck are those dudes? Mm. They look like fucking badasses, yeah. you know? And it was the SBS. So that was my first physical sort of uh, interaction with special forces. Mm. Now I'd known about special forces. When you're going into the Marines, I'd started reading books uh, before I joined the military. And that's another precursor to why I think books are incredible. I didn't read much. I wasn't academic at Mm. school, but when I left, I started reading the things that I was interested Mm. in, autobiographies and all this kind of stuff and military history, Marines, paras, and then special forces. So I'd kind of, I had an idea of who they were and what they did, but it was kind of shrouded in mystery. And, but that, that tour in particular, right towards the end, is, is, is the first time I sort of saw uh, up in, in in person in the flesh uh, special forces. And then when you landed back, what have you got to do to say? Do you got to be hand up, or does or does your boss say? Well, I think you should go to the next stage now. Yeah, so it's the first. Mm. It used to be the latter, mm. so you had to be put forward previously, pre I don't know when it. it let's say it's two thousand and five before it was kind of a joint special forces thing. You would have to be put forward, and that would. And the prerequisite for, for that would be, you've got to be a fucking good bloke. And you've also had to have so many tours. You had to have so much experience. You had to be a certain rank or level. You know, all this kind of stuff, tick, 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 tick. And that changed. I might be getting the date wrong, but let's say for argument's sake, 2005. And then it was a, listen, it's, it's now this joint sort of selection thing where everybody, and previously it was, if you want to go to the SBS, you go and do their selection course. You yeah. want to go SAS, you go and do their selection course. You want to do whatever, fill in the blank. But now it was all kind of one all-encompassing selection process. So for me, towards the end of that three years, I thought, fuck, you know, I've I've kind of done three years in the Marines yeah. here and I'm looking around and what do I want to do? Right, oh, fuck it, I'm gonna give it, I'm gonna give this a go. And I was thinking about it, and I was talking to a good friend of mine at the time about doing it. You know, we were sort of being keeping really physically fit and active. I was enjoying the soldier side of things. And he actually put me forward for mm. a briefing course. A briefing course is a a week-long course that sort of is a pre-selection course. So you would come down to Poole or Hereford, and for that week you get beasted, navigation, big heavy packs, usual stuff that you'd expect. And you're sort of tested to make sure that you, one, you're physically fit and robust enough to even start selection, mm. and two, you can uh, navigate correctly, and three, that your soldiering proficiency is of a high standard. Um, so somebody put me in for that, a friend of mine. So we did it together. He came in one day and said, I fucking put us onto a briefing course. And that's probably a really good thing uh, that I learned. What's his name? Jim. Jim, yeah. But he... He wanted to do it as well. Mm. Uh, Unfortunately, Jim fucking... He failed. Mm. Um, But I probably... Would I have put myself in for it? I think so. Mm. But that's kind of the nudge I needed because once you set set a target wrong, and there's a wrong. date, you think, I'm fuck, in. I've got something to work towards now. Yeah. Rather than sort of, I might do it. I'm thinking about doing it. Yeah. All those people, I think about starting a business. Yeah, yeah I, I want to do that. Yeah, yeah I want to start that fitness mm. program. I want to, but actually when somebody sets it, you think, okay, yeah. right, that's, I've got something to work towards now. So right towards the end, I started thinking, well, what's the best thing that I could do that will set me up for success for special forces? And the hardest infantry course that you can do 
in my opinion, uh, in the military is the sniper course. So the sniper course. What other courses are there? There's um, physical training instructors yeah. to be a PTI. You can be a heavy weapons specialist. You can be a mortarman. You can be drivers, all these kind okay. of different things. But for me, the pinnacle of okay. soldiering to be the best soldier in any sort of uh, battalion or unit is a sniper. You mm. know, they're highly regarded. They work. They're very proficient uh, on their own. They're very good at soldiering, you know, very good at navigation, very good at weapons and tactics, very good at communicating. Yeah. They work well at, on their own or as, as a pair or as a team. Mm. So for me, it was right, let's do the fucking Royal Marine Sniper Course. And yeah. that is highly regarded as, as the best um, infantry yeah. sniper course in the world. Other people from the America and, and Dana, all these Norway, all these people come in to do the, they send their best people and uh, out of a, Every course, that's, let's say there's two courses a year, there's about 12 people loaded onto a course. So it's it's fucking out of how many hundreds and thousands, yeah. thousands of people within the Marines, yeah. they select, or there's again, the pre-selection course to go on that. Mm. So the best people in their units go for a pre-sniper um, uh, course. The best two people from each unit then get loaded onto the sniper course. Oh, okay. And then the best person from America or whoever, whichever yeah. unit, they also send their best person on the course because they've only got two spaces. So yeah. the 10 spaces are taken up from the Royal Marines. The other two spaces or three spaces are from, you know, uh, America or whichever yeah. part partner um, country. So straight away, you've got a good caliber of person. And that course is, is it was fucking brilliant. I loved it. I absolutely loved the sniper mm. course. And I said to myself, if I can pass the sniper course, then that will set me up in really good stead for, for special forces. It'll be a really good prerequisite. So the sniper course is down at CTC. I think you spend the best part of- What's uh, CTC? Uh, Commando Training Center yeah. uh, in Limston. Yeah. So all the courses are run back at that commando training center. Everything goes there from being a recruit to a command course. If you want to be a corporal, a sergeant, colors, all these officers, mm. all the training is run from there for all the, all the different courses. So the sniper course is also run from there. And the main three things that you focus on as a sniper is shooting, clearly. So the first six weeks of the 12-week course is precision shooting, long-range shooting, because if you can't pass that, phase yeah. of the course and you are not proficient enough or you're not good enough uh, then there's no point carrying on with the mm. rest of the six weeks you imagine tra doing all the training and then it gets to the shooting bit and you, you're just fucking yeah. shit it's yeah. like oh, we're wasting our time <laughs> yeah. so we do all you cover all the shooting first get it all out of the way and that, and the the margin of error on that is is fucking fine yeah. you know and you, you might lose a three or four people that are already marksmen that are already very good shots so you know you're shooting high winds rain whatever fucking weather all the way up to sort of a thousand meters you know and it's really fucking precision um, and are you done on the amount of hits you're making how's it how are you judge them without going into yeah. too much detail um generally throughout that six weeks you're evaluated every day yeah. from everything from 100 meters all the way back to sort of a thousand meters and yeah you, there's certain scoring systems whenever you're shooting you do courses of fire and shoots and bits and pieces and they're constantly every round is recorded and marked and then your, your score just keeps getting tallied up 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 and you have to be at a certain yeah. level let's say it's at a 90 percent proficiency shot rate of hit and anything below that is you're off the fucking course wow. um so it's it's difficult it's intense it's yeah. difficult and then once you've passed that, you then go into the kind of skills phase of being a sniper. So that's your craftsmanship. That is 
stalking. Stalking was brilliant. Stalking. So you're kind of crawling. I fucking love the stalking yeah. element. And that is you, all your kit on, all the stuff that you probably expect to see, the Chewbacca suits, yeah, yeah. Uh, all the leaves and fucking all sorts, hanging yeah. out your helmets and cam creams and all that sort of stuff. And you basically look like a bush crawling around. Yeah. You have a, a your, your sniper rifle with you and you're crawling around, getting into a position. You've got two people looking for you, trying to spot you that are snipers. And um, they're given, you've got a certain time frame in which to do this. And then there's certain scoring parameters as well to get into a position within a certain time to release your shots. You're shooting blanks, obviously, mm. but the position and everything is checked. Your range, your wind calls, your actual stability of shot, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. It's really fucking detailed. And you, it's like Groundhog Day. Every day you do um, stalking, an observation, and a navigation um, um, stance or exercise so those three things every day you're doing it yep. for, for the next six weeks and again you're continually assessed and here's the bar if you fucking don't hit it you're off the course so at the end of that I was successful I passed um, again that was fucking brilliant for me and then I fucking remember going in to see the, the chief instructor um, who's a right knobhead I didn't get on well with him and I don't think anybody did he remember was, his name he was yeah Rob uh, he was quite angry. He was, um, he was, uh, it's from uh, sort of, it was a Geordie, Newcastle or, or, or a Mac and whatever. But it's difficult. When you, when, when you're, when you've achieved something or mm. it's this arrogance thing and this mm. ego thing, isn't it? Was when, he looking down at you? Yeah. If, okay. if you're a sniper yeah. and then you can let that fucking get to your head yeah. and you think, I'm, I'm the fucking chief instructor, yeah. I'm the fucking man here. And rather than having the opinion of these people are here, they're committed. Let me teach these people. Let yeah. me show them what they can be, mm. how good they can fucking be. Mm. Some people go the other way. Yeah. I don't want them to pass. They have two different sort of mentalities yeah. with people. It's the same on selection. Some mm. people want to help you as Same in business. And business. Some people want to yeah. help you. And yeah. other people just want to fucking, yeah. no, no, I've done it. It's hard. So no, let's just keep, it's excellence creep, isn't it? Keep yeah. moving the goalposts and bits and pieces. So we didn't get on well that well. But at the end of the day, if you are hitting, pardon the pun, yeah. the target, if you're hitting the required standards for each thing, it doesn't matter. Mm. You're fucking good enough. You, are, you have achieved everything they've set out and you passed the course. So I remember going into his office. It's the last day of the course. Come in, fucking let's have a chat. And he was like... Uh, Okay, yeah, so well done. You know, you've passed the course, blah, 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 blah. And he tried to mark me down. There's two different levels of passing a sniper course. It was, let's say, uh, a distinction. And, and a, a, a distinction is like the best one yeah. you can get. You, you, you're 95% and above mm. and anything below that, but still passing is mm. a normal pass. Mm. I got a distinction. It's on the board. All your scores are outside the main office, the board, your name and what you've done on everything. Uh, everyone, everyone else can Everybody see it as well. Everybody can see it. Okay. And it's like green, 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 red, green, green, yeah, red, yeah, red, yeah, red. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then, you know what I mean? So you know, yeah. you know what the scores are. And I said, oh, so, and he wrote my report. Your report then follows you back to your unit mm. and then your your boss you, you know, would read that and say, well done, Stars, you fucking congratulations, well done. Mm. It's, it's coveted to be a sniper. You then move into a sniper uh, uh, job or position within a unit or into a recce troop. And then you're in your own little kind of bubble and, and, and it's a, a prestigious thing. Mm. And he sort of wrote, yeah, well done. You've got, you passed and you've done. And I went, oh, so sorry, Rob, um, Sergeant Rob, <laughs> uh, I, I've got a distinct. Uh, I thought I had a distinction passed. No, you fucking didn't. No, you haven't. And it was just all this oh, really man. awkward thing. I Why? Said Why? And then I just said, Why? I just said, so, and then he went, he looked, and then he looked on the, I'll correct it. Don't worry, I'll send it. And I went, look, forget about it. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, I know I've done it. It doesn't mm. matter. Leave it. Why do you think deep down he was like that? Okay, he just did he, not, just did he not want you to overtake him? Did he not want you to have the credit? No, it's, or? Not, it's not that. I just, it was probably a clash of opinions as well and, mm. and, and people, but. Um, 
I, I don't know. Um, he's just a fucking angry, upset individual. He's at the end of his career as yeah. well. And he probably sees people coming through that, you know, have a, got a bit of a spark or people that are heading somewhere. Mm. Sometimes you're like, oh, fucking hell. He's going to, you know, he might do well and other people and they just hold a grudge mm. against you for that. But then I remember him saying to me like, well, where do you want to go? What sniper billet do you want to go to? And I sort of was like, I don't want to go to one. And he was like, what the fuck do you mean? Mm. I said, I'm, I'm going on selection. I'm going on special forces selection. And he was like, he literally nearly spat his tea out and was like, fucking good luck with that. Yeah. He literally said, good luck with that. Yeah. And I was like, fuck. Yeah. It's, it later transpires, I found that he'd fucking failed selection. So, you know, if he couldn't do it, nobody could fucking yeah. do it. I, I'm not as good as him. I'd fail. Why am I even trying? So that fucking really lit a fire in my mm. belly as well. And I was like, fuck, I'll fucking show you. And funny thing, that came full circle. Yeah. He then he was a unit platoon weapons instructor guy, and he came round to work back on camp when I was in the special boat service in mm. the SBS. And he's come on as the he's the guy who just books the ranges and sorts the fucking ranges and the bullets out for you. And we turn up and shoot, yeah. and do our thing, and thanks, Rob, brilliant. And he didn't know I'd been badged, and I saw him maybe five years later, you know, and I bumped into him in, in one of the fucking sergeant's messes, and he was kind of back turned and was like. What the fuck are you doing here? And I was like, "What the fuck are you doing here?" It was one of those brilliant moments. Yeah. Like, yes, karma. Thank you, karma. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, but yeah, so I, I went from there, and then I went on to selection. Mm. So selection was two thousand and eight, so mm. summer two thousand and eight, and um, and fucking hell, what a kicking a kicking the tits. Was that, that was that another level going up again in the training? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's a selection process. You're a volunteer. Back to your original point. Yeah. I volunteered for this course. This is a course that you say, "I want to. I want a bit of that." Yeah. Off we go. So you start day one, week one, and it's a six to nine month course. The first element or the first phase is uh, the, the hills phase mm. in Wales. It's just big, heavy Bergens. Can you navigate? Are you physically fit and robust enough to make it mm. over these checkpoints? And everything's just, here's the standard. Here's the weight. Can you fucking do it? And off you go. Yeah. And, you, and you're pretty self-sufficient. But the main thing, main takeaway for me for that was, can you deal with that monotony Monotony yeah. of getting up every day early? It's fucking dark. It's cold. Your fucking legs mm. are burning. Everything hurts. You've got blisters all over. Yeah. You're fucking, you know, can you self-motivate yourself mm. and go, yeah, I'm going to fucking sort my kit out. I'm going to eat. I'm going to feed myself. I'm going to fucking stay hydrated. Mm. I'm going to look after my kit. And it's quite a, a, although you're on a course with people, you might know people and you make friends. Yeah. You know you're there for yourself. Yeah. You're there to go fucking, the attrition rate is horrendous yeah. for selection. It's, so how many people uh, so, went, roughly went yeah, in, do you so think, We yours? joined about 240 people yeah. and six six to eight of us passed at the right. end. So you know, looking at people, there's no, you know, not everyone's going to be there at the end and you yeah. might not be there at the end. So you just have to focus on you and yourself and every day turning up and trying to fucking hit those marks every day. Mm. And it's... Some days you can break it down into days and then uh, the days sometimes get broken down to hours. The hours yeah. sometimes get broke down to fucking minutes, the minutes sometimes yeah. to seconds, just depending on where you are. But physically that is probably, you know, it's, what, it's the hardest physical thing that you know I've ever done. Are they life. trying to mentally break you as well? Yeah, so the military in general, what, what they will do is they just layer. They layer everything on and, and there's a reason why things haven't changed too much yeah. um, for quite some time. And that layering happens over time. You know, you understand and find out who people really fucking are when you add these little complexities on and layers of 
sleep deprivation. You know, don't give them any as much food or water. Yeah. Let's ask them to do crazy physical things where they're absolutely fucked. So then mm. you're mentally, physically drained. And then we ask them to do complex tasks. We layer it on now with a uh, a, a military um, like mission or start, you know, shooting and things like this. So you're just your brain is just firing mm. and it's overloaded with information. And and then also on top of that, how do you react? You know, we're all fucking brilliant people, aren't we? When we're all fit, healthy, yeah. well, with well rested, well slept, and then, you know, something happens and it's ah, it's fine. But we've all been there mm -hmm. when you're fucked, when you're tired and you're knackered, and you get to see the real people, mm -hmm. don't you? you? Get to see that real person and their real fucking character when they're fucking low and and hanging. And that's why back to my one of my original points was around the Marines setting me up for success. One of their mantras or one of their their sayings is that cheerfulness and adversity. And there's a big thing in the in the military in general about the gallows humor, and it's quite a dark sense of humor yeah. because there's shit times that you've got to go through. And if you can look at left and right of the people and just and have, have a laugh, laugh yeah. at your misery. Well, the king of that is Phil Campion. Fucking right. Have a laugh well, yeah. at, your fucking, at your misery, mate. Mm. And you've got to embrace that and laugh at yourself and yeah. laugh at other people. And, there's, and that kind of forms a deeper bond as well between people as well. Yeah. So that kind of... That phase there, that whole selection process is is designed and, and, and it is designed in that specific way to really break people down physically and mentally. Mm. That's interesting when you mentioned they're having a laugh because Phil Campion has a laugh at every angle he possibly can. Mm. And when you hear his story, it's like, wow, how can you laugh at that? But he turned everything into a, into fun. Yeah. You know, yeah. fair play to him. What yeah. was your what was your first ever tour once you got into the SBS? Yeah. What was your first ever tour? Where was it? So Obviously, after the, the sort of selection process, mm. your body and everything is is pretty fucked. And mm. I think they say it takes about twelve months for your body to fully recover. Is that right? Twelve after months. selection, it's just, it takes such a, a toll um, physically on mm. your body. But your badge—I remember being badged or sort of passing the course—and you go down to your respective unit, and it's quite a low-key affair. You know, you meet the commanding officer and some other people from the squadron, or whoever's on camp will come and attend to sort of clap you in and sort of can, uh, welcome you into the ranks. And you get your new berry. So you've got a new green sort of berry, different cat badge. It's a special forces cat badge, a different stable belt, different thing. And it's quite low key, which I, which I quite liked. And then it's a kind of that feeling then of like, this is the military, but it's it's different. Okay. It's, it's Did you of, notice that straight away? Yeah. Okay. It's a different kind of energy, different sort of feeling across the camp. And it's more relaxed and not, nobody's marching around. Nobody's shouting and nobody, it's just really fucking chilled and relaxed. And But, in, but not in a, in a lazy, flippant, throwaway yeah. sort of um, scene, if that makes sense. It's kind of, there's an underlying professionalism that runs throughout the camp and what people are doing. There's purpose with what, you know, with what people are doing. Um, you're and basically joined, in the top 1% of the 1%. Yeah. And you're all clocking each other again. You've, you, yeah. there must be a massive respect there There's a massive other. mutual yeah. respect, yeah. you know, and there's that kind of thing that you get the nod because you know everybody that stood around you or wearing that stable belt yeah. or that berry, is they've done they've done exactly what you've done. Yeah, okay. They've achieved that that kind of that, that that staple. So when you've gone in there and you've all achieved it, say if there's five six of you who actually gone through, is there a like hierarchy in the amount of years that people have been down there again? Oh, here they go. Is a new bees coming in? Well, yeah. So it's fucking snakes and ladders again, yeah. isn't it? You yeah. think fucking yes, I'm the boy. No, you yeah. don't think that. But <laughs> you know, you have that moment of it's a proud day again. Yeah. And you think fucking, hell, I, I've, I've done, done this. Yeah. How the fuck have I dragged yeah. my carcass through yeah. that? And then you start again. It's, then you realize when you join the squadron, and then you go, you get welcomed in the guys and it's all new. Everything's fucking different. The kit, the equipment, the weapons, the fucking technology is fucking different, you know, because it, the special forces need all the best kit and equipment, clearly. 
so you have to learn again. It's this steep learning curve of, of, of people and nuances and, and, and how things flow and move and, and, wet and all the kind of kit and equipment. And you're just looking around thinking, fucking, this is just completely different. And when I joined, it was a, a really, really fucking busy period operationally. You know, Afghanistan was fucking so busy. So we're and talking 2009. 2009. 2009. Yeah. Okay. So back in the 2008 badge, yeah. bit of... Christmas leave, couple of weeks, yeah. and then join on the January into the squadron. And there, next on my squadron was next on deployment. Mm -hmm. So we were now in a pre-deployment phase. So we were getting ready to deploy, and sort of two months before that, you're going out to different places to do all the kind of skills and drills and meet and work with the team, and you start doing all the beat-up phase for going out. So you're kind of, it's a busy, busy mm -hmm. period, and so it's all the kit, equipment, and you're learning everything. Everything's fucking new. You are the new guy, but you have the respect, but yeah. you are the fucking new guy, and it's it's kind of like, listen, things are different here. Like, it's not the fucking Royal Marines. We work, we operate differently, we communicate differently, we expect different fucking things, different standards, you know, but ultimately, it's big boys' rules. Yeah. You know, you have proven that you can get to this part, but the selection process is only designed to get you to the here. Yeah. You're now on a probation. You have a year's probation, and is at any right? stage in that okay. year, if you fucking deploy or you fuck up, you're out. You're, you're, you're fucking wow. yeah, hit the okay. fucking snake and yeah. you're back into the Royal Marines. Okay. And that happens sometimes, you know, for, for obvious mm. reasons, you know. So you've got that in the back of your mind as well. Fucking don't fuck up, don't fuck up. Mm. But but also be be yourself. You, you know, you, you've gone through this process. You know, you have to be self-assured, but not arrogant. You know, mm. it's a fine balance, fine a fine line, line yeah. that you tread, mm. isn't it? And then I deployed in 2009, where, you know, with the squadron and we're into Afghanistan. And it was, for me, everything I'd, I'd I said, and I say this, you know, loosely dreamed of, everything that I thought special forces were and did was on that tour. That yeah. six months operational tour was fucking incredible. It was out every night. It was fucking high energy, hunting high value targets, doing some incredible missions that, you know, looking back now were just fucking wild. Yeah. It was like the wild west, <laughs> but surrounded with incredible, like-minded mm. fucking apex fucking people that were at the top of their game. And again, you do that thing where you look around and shit, there's so many good people here and leaders and, yeah. and, and team leaders and, and, and commanders and highly skilled individuals from demolitions to snipers to forward air controllers to met. You're just looking around, just sort of, wow. Mm. And then you sort of pick the person, your team leaders and go, fuck, he's a fucking good dude. I yeah. want to be like him. And then you sort of attach closely and, you know, then you're sort of learning. How, and many, how many sort of men were there on that operation from the special forces? Roughly well, on the ground and yeah. things like that. I can't really say, I don't want to really go into like um, numbers mm. and, and operational numbers. Are we talking like 20 men, like a tight 20 men moving around it's, together it's, or you split off it, in sixes? It changes, or? it changes. Yeah. It really does change in terms of footprint on the ground as to what the mission is and what you're doing. Mm. Um, that's probably as, as far as I can go into that. But you do split off at times in pairs and fours and sixes yeah. or tens and twenty. It really just does depend on what the mission is. Is there one mission that really stands out in your mind, Stairs? Yeah, my first job that I did. Was it the first one? Yeah. So certain jobs in special forces, if they're a fucking good job, mm. back in like the sergeant's messes on camp, they get kind of immortalized mm. and, and painted. Mm. They be, they turn into paintings mm. that get put onto the wall, you know, so in the in the officer's mess, the sergeant's mess, and around camp, certain things are just like, you remember that job? And, yeah. it go, and this goes back all the way. It's history. Oh, quality. It's history. Yeah. And I remember this first job going out and we fucking planned this to do this mission and we go out and it's the first time I've really gone out with a squadron and, you know, we kind of land away and we're walking towards a target and it's just new. Everything's new. My world's a green haze through night vision and 
<clears throat> new weapon systems and the way they move and talk and up, I was just it was so real and then we line out the jo- the, the kind of before we, we we start to flood through the the kind of compound the certain things that we're doing and check off then it's like right stand by fucking go we're in and it's just so fucking and what kinetic are you wearing? And tell me so you so i can picture it what so you're wearing what are you going into are you getting helicopters in or how's it work yeah d- yeah it depends helicopters and bits and pieces that was a helicopter job but we've landed away and we walk in and we're walking through the, the fucking baddest places we're sneaking through the the kind of hornet's nest if you mm. will getting into a position where we're ready on our sort of uh on our terms when we're going to strike and yeah. You know, we've got all the technologies above us and all this kind of stuff and, and we move in and it's just, it's like the okay corral. It just goes off and it's just, but it's brilliant to mm. be a part of that. And I remember just running through and it's, yeah, I can, so vivid today. Mm. I can remember it, the smells and the senses and everything, the pressures, the overpressure from the demolitions and, and the, the shooting and everything else. And <clears throat> it was a, a really successful mission. And, you know, we sort of land, went back to camp after that uh, back to where the you know the, the helicopters uh, are refueled and we get off and very quickly we do a hot debrief. So after every mission, we'd always do a very hot debrief and then we do a, a debrief maybe the day after, the morning after, mm. that's uh, a little bit more detailed. But we always do a hot debrief, get around, fucking everybody's just so sweating, covered, and it's like, right, quick fucking lay down. What happened here? What happened there? What happened there? Who did that? What was that? What was the outcome of that? What was it mission success? What did we do well? What didn't we do so well? What could we learn from that? Anybody got any input? Any afterburners? Right, fucking good night. Go get some food. So for that, for, so that mission there, what was success? So it was it was to kill or capture high value targets, yeah. and so we got our guy, and and also a lot of a lot of badness in there as well. Mm. So it was you know multiple uh, bad guys and and uh, and the head of a network as well. So it was a really successful job. And I remember sitting back after this hot debrief, and I saw a new guy. Yeah. Looked to one of the older, older, more experienced um, operators and was like, "Fucking, that was incredible!" And he was like, "To be fair, he said you've you've been blessed. That was a very, very fucking special one. That was a really yeah. good fucking mission." And then I was sort of, then I was sort of a bit like, "Well, they're not all like that." <laughs> <laughs> it was like Call of Duty. Are you of, are you buzzing yeah. afterwards? Going, I want to go again. Yeah, I want to go again. Where's it the next was one? a rush. Really? That wow. adrenaline, wow. that feeling yeah. is. Um, it's incredible. I'll probably get this wrong. Is Ernest Hemingway who talks about you know once you've once you've tasted that you've had that feeling oh, of hunting yeah. people and being hunted. There's mm. no other feeling like it, and mm. it's it is a mad dopamine hit. You know, it's it's crazy. You are everything is your senses are heightened. It's just you're living literally on that edge and in you, that moment. Have you ever been into a mission where you've gone in and there's kids involved? There's kids there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's how do you react to something like that when you're going, you're going in for the mission for the, and all of a sudden kids are running around. How do you go from training the mind from madness to? I think that's, that's that comes through training. Yeah, and that comes through. Um, we, we say this all the time. Special forces, we're, we're not fucking bullies with weapons. We're not bullies with weapons. No. Just running around, just fucking shooting at everything and yeah. anything that moves. That's not what we're there to do. We're we're a precision asset. There's. Mm only used in certain missions and at certain times, you know, high strategic um, government uh, missions that, that require a special touch. But for us to answer the questions that the, when you go on to any kind of uh, mission, it's always different. There's always different things. There's different smells, different lo- locations. There's different sensories, uh, overloads of women, children, cars, fucking dogs, yeah. you know, bulls, cow, just madness. It's just, it's a crazy place, but it depends on where, where the mission is. Like mm-hmm. sometimes it's more urban. Sometimes it's more rural. You know, sometimes it's a farm. It's just different places, mm-hmm. but... 
you know, these the people that we were, you know, fighting, they were it was all badness. We knew where we were going. We knew exactly the intelligence pictures were very clear. And they would still, you know, they would have horrendous things of people. And it happens now in the news. You can see it with, yeah. you know, the, these fucking groups, these terrorist networks. Yeah. They're different. They are fucking barbaric, you know. And they'll use women, kids as human shields, you know. So it's very difficult. It's a different mindset mm. to me and you, mm. you know, living our lives here. It's different. You know, but that said, everything that we do is precision. You know, we, we're never just running in and just shooting indiscriminately at wherever because mm. we're scared or because there's fire coming. It's everything is precision. Mm. Every round is accounted for. So what are you wearing? Tell me exactly what you're wearing. Have you done, have you done uh, missions in the night with the night goggles on? Yeah. So again, we're afforded the best kit and equipment, yeah. you know, special forces, that different budgets and bits and pieces. But generally speaking, you'd have a ballistic helmet on. Attached to that helmet, you would have night vision goggles, you know, and then you'd have reactive ear defense on that is connected to your communications. You'd have different radios on your plate carrier. You'd have uh, sort of a ballistic plate on the front and the rear, sometimes on the side as yeah. well. So that's a, uh, to stop obviously bullets mm -hmm. hitting you um, or prevent them sort of going through. So it's a plate and then you would have uh, magazines with more bullets mm. and then you would have um, water you would have uh, grenades uh, flash crash all this kind of stuff and again, flash crash so the uh, three bangers so things that you, you pop out as a distraction okay. a distraction grenade so it would just throw it into a room here it just free very loud fucking stun grenades like boom 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 yeah. three loud bangs uh, just to give you a little bit of extra time to assess a situation before you run into mm. it. And then depending on what your rob role is or your job within the team, you could be a demolitions guy. So you'd be carrying a backpack with demolitions and that's entry. You could have a shotgun on you to take door hinges off doors very quickly. You could have little charges that take off locks very quickly. You can move wow. uh, or heavier breaching equipment to get into access into different areas and compounds and buildings. Also, the demolitions can be used to destroy things like weapons, drug factories, all this kind of stuff or other explosive devices that you find. You can sympathetically detonate mm. other other uh, IEDs, et cetera, mm. et cetera. So other people could be a medic. Louis was a medic. I think yeah. he spoke about that. His bag would be full of medical kit and equipment and yeah. oxygen and, and all that kind of stuff. And then you'd have different people with more radios that would be forward air control. Just to really just to depend what, what, what people are carrying and what their role and, and job is. So mm. you're fully laid and fully loaded down. I'd say weight-wise, you're probably carrying uh, on top of yourself maybe 40 pounds, probably more. Is that 20 kg extra? Yeah, yeah. How long would a mission last for? I know this is, this is a kind of open question. A mission lasts for how long it takes you, but are you going in going, there's a mission there, we need to be in and out within seven minutes. Is it done like that? Or is it how, it's like we need to go and do a job and how long, long it takes to get out? Okay, seven minutes would be good, wouldn't it? Jesus. It? Yeah, yeah that'd be, uh, that would be a good one. <laughs> if only. Yeah. No, but there are, no, you're, but it's a good question, mate, because some missions are differently. If you have a hostage rescue and things, yeah. then it's very time sensitive because mm -hmm. the longer you take to do something, the more, the more, time, yeah. the more increase of risk to life there yeah. is for, for mission success. But this majority of stuff that we did, it was always calculated and it was on our terms. So we would have an idea of where we're going, where we're heading, what the area looks like, how easy is it, how easy is it to get in and out. All this kind of appreciation is done pre 
uh, going on the job and this comes through an orders process and bits and pieces. So it really does depend what, mm. what, what the mission is. But, you know, for, for the most part, you're trying to get things done as, as, as quickly and methodically and, as possible to allow that end state of mission success or whatever that would look like. Mm. But there's been jobs before where you go out and things change very quickly. I've, uh, I've been out on missions before and, you know, my role within the, the kind of team has been a, a sniper so, or a wall sniper. So gaining access through telescopic ladders is and getting on top of getting better vantage points and sharpshooting and you know and then suddenly you've got a mission you're going for for a high value target and one of the guys will get get hit you know and this happened to one of the you know one of our guys very quickly once you've fought through the position and and, and it's safe to do so the mission very quickly changes to the person that's been shot and injured mm. you want to get your fucking your mucker yeah, your the other out. operator yeah. out there as quickly as possible yeah. so that he's got a, the best chance possible of surviving mm. so that then changes into a casual casualty evacuation and these things can take fucking time mm. you know and resource and you have to get somewhere that's safe and generally speaking if you go into a, bad, a place of badness, it's like probably like going into uh, Turling Moor. Yeah. You know, very quickly <laughs> word yeah. spreads and gets quickly, and people yeah. very quickly come yeah. and, and and get drawn into that. So you have to be very very conscious of that as well. What it's was, very different the missions. What was the What was the time when you won the? So you won. You got the medal for the conspicuous queen, gallantry yeah, cross. Yeah, yeah, the gallantry cross. Where was that? What year was that? So. My time in, in like 10 years in special forces, yeah. I, I deployed on about five operational tours and some other ones in Afghanistan and then did some other mm. things elsewhere as well. Um, the last tour that I did in 2013, I was working with a, an Afghan partner force and the role was very different to things that I'd done before in terms of the missions and, and everything else. It was more partner led and I was instructing and helping and I was that person on the ground, you know, and that role actually at the time although i'd done a lot of stuff in my short period of mm. being in in the special forces and i'd again been quite sort of lucky in the experience that i'd gained in such a short period because the operational tempo was so high mm. i i got put into a position that was actually above where i should have been so it was mainly a sergeant or a color sergeant's job but i was a sort of acting sergeant mm. and the person that was supposed to do it couldn't do it. They then said, turn around and said, Stas, you're fucking in. Yeah. In you go. Like, we're happy. Like, go do your thing. And with that job came a lot of autonomy, um, which was great. I was in Kabul. I was in the capital and I was partner and I was liaising with lots of other forces and uh, other people. Then it was a very complex um, dynamic, changing sort of situation. So there's a lot of responsibility that came with that job and that role. And we were working one target in particular that, that took a long time to kind of to, to kind of burn out and in the end it was going to it was going to be uh well at the time it's the recorded as the, the biggest improvised explosive device that was ever recorded in the, the capital Jeez. it was going to be a multi-staged attack across multiple different friendly forces camps and we'd been watching this for quite some time and and massaging the kind of relationships and the understand and we were wanted it to we wanted it to grow so that we could understand what was happening yeah. and who was involved and how 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 far and wide that spider's web spread mm. and who was involved. So there's certain things that you do and allow to happen because you gain more intelligence. Mm. And that's what we were doing. And at one stage, pretty much overnight, we'd rehearsed this job over and over and where it was and, and bits and pieces. And very quickly things changed. The situation changed. The, the um, I guess the... The importance of the mission changed. Uh, some things happened uh, with, a, with some informants and pieces. Anyway, we had to go and operate, uh, um, execute on this target. And that was me leading that job, leading that sort of uh, that charge, if you will. But the 
like the implications strategic and government were so high everybody was fucking watching this job yeah. uh, it was a big job so i sort of felt the fucking pressure mm. i'm leading the team in and we get to the to the kind of compound of interest and i turn around to the sort of um the partner force which would rehearse they'd been brilliant before we'd done multiple jobs before no issues and i kind of set a charge everybody ready 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 blow the door and at that stage it's it's partner led you know this is listen guys over to you you know i'm here to support you and i'll come in with you generally speaking you just run in the front with them yeah. anyway and i remember looking around to them and fucking and it just didn't happen mm. you know they for whatever reason that night the fucking they just got the, the they knew how important it was yeah. they knew how much explosives were in this fucking compound mm. you know and it, don't get me wrong it's a fucking it's a worry at any yeah. stage it can fucking go up and we're pink mist yeah you know but my kind of thought process was well what's the alternative we have to step up and we have to do this we have to make this happen and they just fucking flat out refused turn around and me gave me the old not today, mate. Not today. <laughs> so, fuck. So I look around at who I've got with me. And luckily I had some of the guys with me yeah. from the unit that I'd called in for support. So we're kind of a four-man sort of team now, assaulting a position. And uh, thankfully it was a success, mission success. You know, we kind of, everything was kind of uh, secure at that point. So I kind of, I've kind of got wrote up for that job, mm. for kind of taking that decision and moving on and pushing ahead with the job at great risk, and and also because also that it, it saved a massive multi-stage attack and yeah. it was it was it was quite big. And then there was another job that I did where I kind of ran over a, a hill and I was being shot at and grenade, a fucking grenade next to my face and just it was a mad night and I kind of stormed a, a position running over and grenades and fucking all that kind of stuff and just kind of uh, in, in, a, in a blaze of glory ran over the top and kind of uh, neutralized a, you know, a couple of targets and a high value target and stuff and so but I think it was a culmination of the whole tour yeah. and how successful that tour was and the kind of job that I did that was kind of above my station where mm. I should have been operating and and all the things that I did external to not just the missions and, and the end result but a lot of the other things that were put in place and, and everything else as well so that was kind of the you get and you get wrote up by your bosses that are out that are out sort of on the uh, on the operations with you and generally speaking it's say look we this is kind of what he's done and the effect that it's had and this is why we think he's deserving of some Brilliant. form of recognition. And that recognition could be anything along that. It could be a Victoria Cross, usually a fucking, you're in a coffin though, if you yeah, get one of them. Yeah. Uh, and all the way sort of down down there. And then it goes to a board, a military board, then read it all and say, we think it's this. Everybody, yeah, Brilliant. happy. And then, um, and and on the the medals things, it's uh, there's, a, there's a chapter in my book, which I know we're going to go on to. There's a chapter in there. So called, in your book here, it, calls, it says- The hard road will take you home. Yeah. Where did that name come from? Yeah, so there's a lot of things, there's a lot of fucking stuff in that book and on the metal stuff as well, but the title itself is actually pretty important to me. That's a mantra or a saying that I've kind of lived with since my military time. So mm. when I was in Royal Marines training, you know, bright eyed, bushy tailed, I think I was week 22 of, of 32 and it was summertime. We were just getting ready to leave for summer, uh, summer breaks. I have like three weeks off. Um, we were on the bottom field where all the kind of assault courses are and all this stuff and we'd had a beasting all day and... Anyway, the, the whole of the commando training centers out on the bottom field. So mm -hmm. all the all the um, all the people that are going through training and their troops are all sort of sat out waiting. And there's a aggressive, famous, infamous grassy knoll. It's called on mm -hmm. top. And all these kind of head shed are, are getting at the uh, you know sort of gathering at the top. And there's all these people and fucking crowns and pips and important fucking people, mm -hmm. officers and brigadier, all this kind mm -hmm. of stuff. Anyway, this big fucking commanding fucking guy walks across the top and then there's whispers going around that's fucking it, it's colonel thorpe conrad thorpe he's a fucking legend in yeah. the in the corps and he was also in the sbs and you know he was a 
he's a man mountain of a guy, but um, not sort of like big. He was just had a real presence, presence about yeah. him, you know, fit, wiry, weathered, just he, he just wanted to get in a tear up yeah. with him. And I, um, I think he was from either Zimbabwe or, or somewhere like that. I, I, I should know that, I forgot, uh, and apologies. Um, but he sort of stands on top of the grassy knoll and he's sort of talking to his peers. And then next thing he's, he's addressing us. He's going to speak to us all. And you could fucking hear a pin drop. He turns mm. and he's like, man. And it's just fucking silence. Listen, yeah, Everyone's to. fucking looking up. And yeah. I was, you know, the hairs on the back of your neck. Yeah. And he just delivers this speech about where we are right now in this world, what we're doing, what we're striving towards valiantly through fucking hardship and endeavor and all mm. this kind of stuff and being Royal Marines commandos and what it means and, you know, what we're doing, why we're sacrificing. And he was like, just remember when you go through all this stuff and, you know, and, and the difficulties that you will feel at different periods through the Royal Marines course, just remember that, you know, don't take the fucking easy options mm. ever. Don't look for a fucking easy shortcut. That's not the way that we fucking do things. We're Royal Marines, we're fucking professional. It's never served me right. And he was just sort of, it was like, I'm going to leave you with this. Just remember brilliant. the hard road will take you home. Brilliant. And I was just like, it still gives me shoes yeah, now. Brilliant. And I was like, fuck. So when I left and went into my military career and into the special forces, whenever you've tired and you we all, we all fucking yeah. do it i'll fucking leave that all <laughs> and cut a corner we'll yeah. fucking you know it's natural the human brain is wired that mm. way it wants to find the easiest way to do things but that's not always the right way mm. to do things you know take a take a hard right over an easy wrong every day and that was for me meant a lot so that was really important for me to, to sort of put that down and and because it meant so much mm. to me and i've kind of tried to live by that as, as much as possible mm. and when and where possible apply that in my life moving forward have you ever been close to dying anywhere Oh, mate, I mean, yes, uh, obviously with the, that's the nature of the beast and, and, and what is special forces, you know, it's it's operating in, in very diverse and complex, uh, difficult fucking situations. You know, we've lost people serving, unfortunately, and, and had some close personal shaves myself. I think I've had mad, crazy moments, like Tarantino moments of bullet sort of around you and all that kind of madness that's just, it's just luck of the draw. Mm. You know, it's not your, it's not your time. It's not your night. But listen, when, when you join, uh, you know, the, the special forces and the ranks, it's, you know what you're signing up for. You know, it's fucking, uh, it's dangerous, you know, and, and, and that's what it's all, that's what it's all about. But that, there's a buzz attached to that as well, you know. And for me personally, I was fucking blown up in a wagon, which was pretty hairy. So we hit a, a roadside improvised explosive device which was sort of laid just below the surface attached to a pressure plate so we kind of drove over luckily we were in a uh, sort of three and a half ton directionally armored vehicle for those reasons the, the way that they the hulls and the bottoms were specifically engineered and designed to kind of mitigate blast and and the seats that you had as well were kind of hydraulic seats that would collapse and, and almost take the majority or the brunt of the energy and the shock. And fuck, yeah, I can remember that um, sort of rolling over that thing. It was really, uh, it was early morning, just rolling into first light. And I was the lead kind of wagon of a patrol of loads of people behind us. And we were just sort of just checking the route ahead. And, you know, I map on I had the map on my lap, fucking fresh brew in front of me, helmet on and, with these um, seats, these hydraulic sort of collapsing seats, they only really work if you put um, the kind of harness on, the racing harness that sort of four-way clips you into the seat. Fucking didn't have that on because you're constantly getting in and out of the yeah. vehicles all the time. You end up just fucking ditching it. Yeah. Um, I had my kind of uh, my plates on, my helmet, chin strap was undone. I had a finger torch on. And I'm looking at the route. I'm, my head's fucking going. I'm busy. And, and the driver's sort of speaking to me. So we've got a driver 
on the front right, myself in the front left, and then there's a, a gunner in the back mm. who's in charge of the heavy weapon on the back. And as we're driving back towards, you know, the convoy to turn around to say sort of, right, we're, we're clear, come and follow on along the road or the track, there's a kind of a natural turning circle. And these are usually sort of big no-nos and big, but we're in the middle of the desert. We're in the fucking middle of nowhere. I think it was actually a legacy IED or mine that we'd hit. And he's on the radio to me, he's speaking to me and there's loads of stuff going on and we're trying to fucking just get out of there. We've been laid up all night. Like, let's get on the road. Let's start cracking on with it, with a job and the next day's mission. And he sort of says, look, shall I turn around? Where shall I turn around? And I'm saying, let's just fucking do it here. Mm. And he's, and then I'm head, head looking mm. down, finger torch and, you know, night vision sort of, but I'm, that's, I'm not looking through that. I'm, I'm just sort of, there's loads of stuff going on. And he was like, oh, I'll turn around just up here. And I'm like, just fucking, just whip it around here. And he was like, no, no, there's a, there's a better place to turn just up here. And I'm like, yeah, fucking whatever, mate. Just, just whip the wagon around, you know, don't fucking make a big deal mm. of it. And as we turned in the, the rear left, so the front left had rolled over and then the rear left uh, wheel hit this fucking 70 pound, huge uh, improvised explosive device. And the only thing I can liken it to is being fucking just hit by a train. So mm. you go from it, this this thing, I've, I've got photos as well of this. I can probably show you mm. some. The, the, the vehicle is armored. It's a big fucking vehicle, but it's open as well. There's no kind of cover on it. It lifted and shifted this whole wagon about sort of 10 feet. The people behind us saw us hit this IUD and our kit and equipment went, it ripped the whole arse end out of the wagon. It was on fire. The shit went everywhere. And one of the guys, another operator came up to me and he went, I thought that was you guys fucking oh, flying wow. through the air. Uh, but it was all, it was all our kit and equipment. And, you know, I sort of jumped out. I was hit, like pushed out of the seat. I hit a metal rail uh, in, in, sort of in the middle of us, smashed back down. That's why my back's pretty fucked mm. at the moment. And, um, I remember the driver sort of in, the, in a moment of sort of madness and panic thought it was, we were under attack. He thought it was an RPG and he's trying to get out of the wagon. He said, fucking, we're under attack and I'm fucking grabbing him like, stay the fuck where you mm. are, stay there. It's a fucking, it's, a, it's an IED. Mm. And obviously there's certain procedures that you go through. The last thing you want to be doing is getting out of the vehicle, just running into fucking madness. You might run over or step onto another IED. Yeah. There's certain procedures you have to do in terms of checking the area. And I sort of take a minute to assess things, let them know on the radio, look, it's a, we've hit an IED, but everybody's, we're, we're okay. Just give me a minute to fucking assess the situation. And then I look through the back compartment, the fucking gun is fucking knocked out cold. It's fucking on fire in the back. And just having these comedy moments, I remember reaching through like, okay, just fucking stay calm, don't fucking flap. I reached to get the extinguisher and I sort of lean out around the side of the vehicle and I'm fucking get ready to fucking start mm. <laughs> extinguishing the fire, fireman stars. Mm. And just fucking pull it and it just silly stringed out the end, just didn't work. It fucking it obviously was mm. affected by the blast. So fucking brilliant. That gets thrown out. Then I had to sort of crawl through the back, get the other extinguisher, put the fucking fire out and look after the guy. Thankfully, he was okay. He was just obviously knocked out, concussed. And they then had to get medically sort of evacuated through the helicopters and that whole procedure and um that was a fucking that was a mad mad day yeah, as, as well and yeah but but throughout the whole training process as well is training's arguably just as dangerous as, as the missions yeah. because you have to train that certain way and i've had parachute failures and you know jumping out full mission profile at night and just kind of hold on know. a minute hold on a minute. you had parachute failures yeah go on yeah. so jumping out with all your kit and equipment on like you would for a real job yeah it's a just before you go and do a job you'll go and practice the job and it was a full mission profile, everything that you carry, kit, equipment, on oxygen at night, jumping out at fucking 18,000 feet, 
jump out and just had a fucking epic of a malfunction above me. And, you know, it's all in the book, the oh, details man. and the things that we learned from that and, and also hitting the ID, things that we learned around around why and how and, uh, and and things that we can do next time to improve. But yeah, the parachute failure was, it was fucking interesting. It was just, uh, it was an epic, you know, and then... So when you talk about a parachute failure, are you thinking the parachute's spinning up around or just didn't pop? Or, yeah, well, so, you I'm... know, for people that don't know, you're, you're attached to your parachute yeah. by the risers or the, 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 the bits of fucking rope string mm. you know through four points that mm. go up to the top of the parachute and as you uh, sort of exit the, the parachute starts forming and or opening mm. and it takes about eight seconds for the parachute to fully form and open at that stage you would then check you, you get the handles that allow yeah. you to steer the fucking parachute okay. you do a left check a right check and a brake check yeah i can steer it i can land it fucking brilliant yeah right now you now you're on with navigating towards where you're going because yeah. there's multiple people jumping at the same time and you want to get sort of together and land together as well mm -hmm. as, a, as a as a kind of unit and i was just fucking losing high high i'm kind of look trying to look above my parachute to check my canopy but I've, my whole lines are all just twisted above oh, me and i'm mate. thinking fuck now i'm trying to kick out i'm pulling at these lines and i'm like a fucking frog dangling yeah. my little legs trying to kick out the other opposite way and it's kind of working a bit and it starts forming and then i'm, I'm thinking that's oh, okay don't, don't fucking don't fucking worry don't pa no, don't panic just go through the fucking drills that you're taught and then the whole side just collapsed in and put me into a real violent g-shock spin and at that stage it's, it's decision time it's 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 do I fucking carry on like this and land in a fucking ball of hurt or do oh. I cut away and then hope that the uh, the reserve opens and obviously thankfully the the reserve opened and and uh, ironically <laughs> had one of the best landings I've ever had in my life it was fucking tippy toes and <laughs> what the fuck's just I'm alive but <laughs> <laughs> well, actually you know when you pull that red sacred handle yeah. it's called for your reserve yeah. I didn't even realize, but I'd done all my stuff and I landed. I still had the handle in my hand. Yeah. I was like, fuck, I've got it framed at the Through Dark HQ. And the red sacred handle, yeah. But it's, uh, yeah. But there's, there's loads of instances like when I've been diving off the North Shore and oil rigs and, you know, where very, things can go wrong very quickly, mm. you know, and you're in this environment. It's at nighttime. It's fucking, you know, you most stuff's done off feel. You're on, you know, um, different air sets and bits and pieces and diving, which is, which is hard and dangerous anyways. It is. Then we had all the complexity and nuances of, special forces operations, then, you know, there's fucking no end of, of shenanigans and, and, and stories and things that go wrong, mate. Yeah. So you had 10 years in the Marines. So three years in the Marines and 10 years in yeah. special forces. Yeah. When you left in 2018, I think yeah. it was, what was on your mind then leaving a, a stable job to then what you've done over the last sort of six years has been pretty incredible stairs, like setting up a, a clothing brand in Through Dark, that's become a multi-million pound business. Being on TV, SAS, Who Dares Wins, being on the Australian show now, lots of other stuff that you've done, and now you've written a book. What keeps driving you on to keep pushing boundaries? I think if we look back, there's, you know, success leaves clues, doesn't it? Mm. You know, and if I look back throughout my whole life, the things that I've done and achieved, and I think hopefully without sounding arrogant, mm. there's it does leave clues of success. Mm. But for me personally, all this these hardships and these fucking knockbacks that I had as a kid, you know, losing my mum at a young age and and not making it as a footballer and mm. being fucking bullet or going through all this mm. shit and this hardship, which at the time is fucking terrible. Mm. But what it does is it adds another layer to you as a person, as an individual. But I've always had a spark, a fire in my belly, I don't know, a chip on my shoulder, whatever, whatever you want to call it. I've had this driving force within me that I've always wanted to push myself. Whatever I'm doing, I want to be the fucking best at it, mm. whatever I'm doing. So when I left the military, and you're right, that's a fucking hard decision, mm. you know, 
before passing the Marines, all I wanted to do and be was a Royal Marine Commando. Mm-hmm. When I passed Royal Marines, all I wanted to do and be was be Special Forces. Yeah. And I was, I was, you're so consumed by it. You know, you just, everything, you, everything you think about, the way that you are, everything is just fucking fully focused on that. And you're passionate about that. You have something to aim towards, something to aspire towards, and it's, it's, it's passion. And then when I, when I was gearing up to leave the Special Forces, I, because I'd done so much in my military career, 13 years, and 10 years especially, mm. I condensed and squeezed so many amazing things into my life and, and things that I was like, wow, look at what I've done and achieved and tick, 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 tick. You know, it takes a toll. It takes mm-hmm. a toll on on relationships and yourself as well, personally and physically and mentally and everything else. And I was going through a difficult period. I'd sort of split up with my first, um, my partner at the time and wife. You know, we'd been together since a very early age. Mm-hmm. We got together super early and we just grew apart and it didn't really work out. And then I, I was leaving. And then, you know, I met my now current partner and wife, Ruby. The lovely Ruby. Yes. Very and lucky man, Stas. I am indeed. And I know that. <laughs> I know that. But that was a big decision yeah. point for me. It was like, you know, I've landed on my feet here. I've met somebody that I really connect with and that I'm happy with. Do I want the same thing to happen again? Looking back again, we look. The only way we should look back is because it leaves clues and it's yeah. give, it's telling us information that we should learn from. And for me, it was like, okay, I've, what I, I'm? Why don't I leave on a fucking high? Mm. Let's leave on my terms, so I'm not that person kicking and screaming, being dragged and pushed and pulled the places I don't want to go. I decided to leave. Louis was also leaving, and it's something that we spoke about. What would the outside look like? And it's daunting because. Mm. You're in that echo chamber, you're in that bubble. All of our skill sets, you know, when you look outside, generally speaking, your natural transition is into private security and high paid jobs, looking after people. And and we did a bit of that. When we left, we were working really good jobs for the NFL and NBA and all these kind of jobs and they paid well and you got to travel again and you're still surrounded by these similar people from different special forces backgrounds. So it was cool, but it was safe. Yeah. Uh, but also it didn't light a fire in my belly. And I was kind of thinking, fuck, I'm going through the motions here. And then we sort of had the idea of, well, if we were to leave, back to one of my points there, if we're going to do something, let's fucking do it to the very best of our ability. What And what would that look like? So then we started talking about things that we enjoy doing, the outdoors and climbing and, and technical kit and equipment. Mm-hmm. Because we'd been afforded the best kit in the military and special forces, you know, there's things that we wore that was great, but we were like, we could fucking make this different. We can improve that. Mm. Why have they done this? And why don't they do that? And fucking (laughs) naively, you need Mm. that naivety. How hard can it be? Fuck it, let's set it up. Let's actually look at it. And then before you know it, those transferable skills, then some, most of which are in the book there, it talks about the things that I've learned in my life And in the military and in special forces and in my life in general, you know, mm. I say that, you know, I'm only 39, I'm, mm. you know, still wet behind the ears. I've mm. still got a lot of learning to do, but I've learned quite a lot mm. in my short period on this fucking earth. And what I've tried to do is put as much as that into of that learning into that book and, and make it easily achievable and understandable for people as well. And so if anyone wanted to go and buy the book, how would you explain what's in the book here, Stas, from all the chapters for someone to go, you know what? I'm going to buy that for Christmas. I'm going to have a good reader that one holiday. I want to buy that for my son. Can they relate to what you've gone through in business? Yeah. 
How have you written it? Yeah, that's a good question. I should have done a colouring in book. It probably would have been <laughs> dot to dot, mate. Would have done. Yeah. <laughs> appealing. Well, I'll, have to, I'll have two of them. <laughs> yeah. So um, for me, I, what I wanted to do is I didn't want to do an autobiography. Mm. I didn't, and I wanted to do something different, you know. And the lads have smashed it, and these people have trailblazed. Middleton's absolutely smashed Ab it. Absolutely <laughs> trailblazed. And it. Foxy and Foxy yeah. and Ollie and Billy yeah, and the amazing. guys and, and fucking hats off to yeah. them. They've they've really fucking set the scene for yeah. anybody that's leaving from our world to mm. really kind of step out and think, do you know what? Because it's difficult. When you when you leave the military, you have this weird thing of, can I say what I used yeah. to do? And do I do I make myself sort of visible on social media? It and seems to be do okay I do fucking now, podcasts? doesn't it? And it's, not, not. it's not okay. It's not it's okay. Not, it's there certain not people look down at you for doing like a podcast or a book or being yeah, on TV. Absolutely, okay. absolutely. But again, back to the very original point we spoke mm. about, that green-eyed monster and a lot of people, I think if most people are honest with themselves, you know, it's not hurting anybody. It's not yeah. fucking giving anything away tactically. I've never seen, hopefully, anything or do anything that would put people at risk that are currently serving. I've still yeah. got friends and mates that still fucking yeah. serve. But it's a fine line again to tread yeah. because you have the the the, the almost um, unspoken rule yeah. of that's not what we do, we're quiet and we're clandestine. But if I look at the reasons why I joined the military, it was fucking books. Yeah. That inspired me massively to join mm. the military and to join special forces. It did. Mm. So I, t I, I try and look at things positively. Mm. What's the positive of that, of that? Of that, and if you don't like it, fucking just move on. Yeah, you know, people are entitled to their opinions. Mm. They are entitled to them. If people don't like it, it's great. It's your so opinion. this book here, then you've related it around business and this, and your learning and your discipline and everything that happened to them. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So it's not an autobiography, but what I've done is broken it down into sort of four stages, and then what I've tried to do on each chapter is focus on a point. Uh, of reference and then for that chapter what I'll give you is a life experience a special forces or military experience and story and learning and what's happened and why it's relatable and then what I've done at the end is the business part so and then how can we transfer that into either your life um, your business you know moving forward and there's certain elements that you might go ah, that doesn't make it doesn't work for me but some of it you can go well yeah that works for me yeah. and I'll, I like that I like mm. that fucking bit and already you know I've had some great feedback already from people that are reading it from different various walks of lives yeah. from professionals to other different people sports people and, and business people as well that are like fucking it's full of, 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 of some, some good little yeah. gems in there hopefully for mm. people to kind of really lean into so and that's how the kind of flavour of the book the things that I've I've learned throughout my time uh, that's related through stories and experience mm. and some funny some sad you know and how can you be a better version of yourself? Mm. But it's not a, an inspirational book. You know, the guys have nailed this stuff in yeah. Andrew and Foxy and they've done their thing. I want it to be slightly different. I think so it's much clever that, what you've done. Yeah, I think yeah. it's different because nobody from our background in Special Forces has done what me and Louis have done mm. in terms of a clothing business and yep. moved into a world that is completely fucking different yeah. and nuanced and yeah. fucking difficult, you yeah. know? And It's not an easy business it's to, not, to, it, to, to set up or run. No. Yeah. And you know, mate, you've set yeah. up a, a successful, you know, clothing business mm. and sold and exited. It's a fucking hard mm. world, mate, to get into. And what we've done, myself and Louis, I think is just used our experiences and our knowledge uh, into the physical product, into how we test, develop, how we communicate. And then in terms of growing a business, how do we talk and communicate to people yeah. internally? Those beliefs and those eth those ethos that I spoke about earlier, how do we, how do you bring that into a business setting? And I'm learning as well all the time. Mm. So this past sort of five, six years has been a, it's been a yeah. fucking mad whirlwind. Yeah. And it's been amazing. It's been incredible. You know, lots of failures and, and lots of successes and, you know, all mixed together. It's been an incredible journey. What's, what has it been like for you, you raising your profile going on TV? 
because before you went on TV, only the, the people who were in the special forces really knew you. As soon as you got on TV, you've gone whoop, profile's yeah. gone through, isn't so it? So that's a roof. decision that, 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 you know, again. Was that an easy decision to no, make? No, it, it's not, mate. It isn't. Yeah. I'll be honest. So when we left myself and Louis, we started doing the clothing stuff. You're working like fucking beavers in the background, yeah. doing all the stuff that you're doing and you're spinning all the usual sort of business place. And then you have the decision to make. You, you come out on, on social media as a business. Mm. And we were focused on business, business. Everything that we did, uh, sort of outward looking, so customer in for photos, we were blurred, our faces were yeah. blurred. There was kind of a mystery and a mystique mm. around that brand, which is quite alluring. It, mm. it was good, it was alluring and different. And then you get to a point where you're like, fuck. And, and actually we spoke to some, some good friends, some business people mm. uh, and trusted opinions and colleagues that were like, look, you, you and Louis are the fucking brand. Yeah. Like, I get it, this mystery, but you're both like characters. I think you should come, Forward. come out, come out, come out. <laughs> you should come out, and but you should yeah. allow people to see who you are, so they can invest in you as people as well, because yeah. you are the brand. You, you, our DNA runs through every fiber of Thrudark. So that decision, we sat down. Okay, we'll do it. We'll sort of do a reveal and say who we are and do a bit, you know, and then we'll move forward. And then you have to go through that that obstacle then of people going, "Fuck, I don't think you should do yeah. that." And yeah, yeah. the brain's wired really. Fucking strangely, mm. isn't it? It's like a defense mechanism. Mm. But for the most part, you can get 99 out of 100 comments, positive, positive, positive. That one mm. fucking comment you that off. just, yeah. your eyes just get drawn to and you <laughs> fucking fuck. No, I'm just delete, delete. <laughs> fuck it, delete. Yeah, 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 yeah. Breathe. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't fucking It doesn't matter. matter. It doesn't matter, mate. And yeah. you've got to fucking look after you. Yeah. You've got to look after yourself, your family, And people in their business think that everyone's looking at what you're doing. People don't, don't give, give a, a shit, fuck, mate. mate. They don't care. Mm. They don't care. Everyone's so consumed in what we're doing. Yeah. We all think everyone's... People don't care. People are struggling <laughs> to look after themselves, let alone care what you're doing, you know? Yes, but that's down to social media. It is, mate. It comes down to that social media. How much has social media sped up your brand success? Oh, it's been pivotal to our success. Mm. If you look at the people that we can lean into and our friends and our yep. network, I think that's been another uh, important part of the Through Dark success is, you know, a big massive shout out to the people that have helped us and Foxes and Ants and all yep. these people and Nims, the people that have really helped propel mm. the business through these social media platforms mm. because the dynamics have changed, haven't they, in business? You know, I'm, I'm saying this like, it's all I've known, but I can see from yep. previous how people used to do things in the fucking yep. yellow pages. Yep. Gone are those days. You know, you can communicate with multiple people across different platforms very quickly you can have a global business overnight massively you know it. you can become all of a sudden selling globally all around the world it's unbelievable it's what it's done for us unbelievable this is the best time points. in history to be an entrepreneur i agree i agree and you have the access to information that you can yeah. get to enable you to succeed mm. it's never been better mm. and i think we've been a part of this boom and this wave this cycle that's helped helped us massively and through influencer marketing and bits and pieces and you know so very quickly we made the decision you know, through dark as well, it starts growing and gathering momentum and pace and people are kind of, I think they're really liking what we're about. We're yeah. looking different. We've yeah. got our own, we're not fucking copying everybody else. We're fucking, we've got our mission, what we want to look like. We've got a very unique feel and flavor about through dark. Mm -hmm. It's authentic, it's genuine, it's credible. It has a unique and story. The, and it's the quality. Yeah. The quality of everything. Every yeah. product I've got, the quality is just like, yeah. Top level, isn't yeah, it? Thank you, mate. Really yeah. is top level. It's and like, it takes time. You know, like your Montclair and all these big brands you're seeing everywhere. This is above that, mm. you know, and, and you're, you're only, what, six years in? Yeah, so for us, we everything revolved around product and quality for us to begin mm. with. And I think Steve, our investor and good friend, Steve yeah, Clark, who's yeah. been a huge help and inspiration to good us bloke. from the very start, very yeah. good guy. And 
I think that was his main concern. He's mm -hmm. told us before, like I was actually believed in you guys, wanted to back you, wanted to help you. You know, we're friends, and but he's mm -hmm. an investor. But he was like, I was really kind of worried about the product quality. It could yeah. this could be anything. Yeah. And you know, we worked tirelessly with people and factories and product procurement and the quality. You know, the sampling at the first stages of Thrudar, yeah. we were fucking crazy. Yeah. 14, 15 samples yeah. of, of these these parkers and different things because we were very determined to get the best product mm. quality that we could get. Do you believe do better. you believe where you're at at the moment this is the best it can get or do you think there's still improvements? Nah, be there's always improvements. Of course, to be made. but I'm saying but do you feel like you're at a really high standard right now because yeah. the 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 product that I have is unbelievable. Mm -hmm. It's all made in Italy. Mm -hmm. It's great comfort. The sizes are great. Every time you put on a new item, it's like, oh my god, you feel the you feel the dog's bollocks again. It's yeah. it's, a, it's a really nice feeling. Yeah, and these things again aren't, aren't accidents. And then the, the, the more you grow and the better you become as as a, as a business, the more you understand about the fabrics, the trims, the cuts, the yeah. pan, all this kind of stuff, and and brand and telling the story. Um, we're surrounded by incredible people right now. You know, we're about thirty five full time staff, yeah. probably up to fifty with agency support and everything. Yeah. And we've got product masters, people that are very passionate about garments you yeah. know and they've worked years in the industry and, and we look at every sort of fucking detail that i'm sort of looking at your jacket yeah. it, that's got three different like polar tech fabrics like, like that, one, that won an apex award yeah. as well uh last year mm. you know so polar tech they, they, all these different brands that they provide fabric to they picked up that centurion jacket as a apex award yeah. uh, winner so we integrate i feel three very different... privileged <laughs> i feel very privileged no but to, to make to answer your question this and i'm passionate about it you can probably yeah. tell it comes across it's kaizen it's in the book that's mm. Kaizen Japanese philosophy about always improving, yep. always trying to sharpen the blade, make things better. How can we improve? And it's tweaks. Sometimes it's small tweaks. Sometimes it's, okay, we've done that now. Let's look at something different. Yep. Let's look at a new product. What's success mean to you? Success, I think twofold. I think from a business perspective, it's one, being happy yep. and and having being passionate about what you're doing. Mm. For me, that's success. If you're swinging your legs out of bed every day and you're passionate about what you do and it Brilliant. fills you with joy and happiness, yep. that's success. It's not measured by numbers, in my opinion. Mm. It's measured by the people that you're surrounded with and, and your day-to-day culture. Day, culture, culture. Create, yeah. Are you happy going into yeah. work? Yes, I fucking am. Yeah. You know, for me, that's success from a business mm. perspective. And the fruits of that labor will come later on. Mm. And 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 it's different for every every business, isn't it? You know, mm. Some are billions, some are hundreds, some mm. are whatever. I'm not fucking interested mm. in that. I want to be happy. That's success to me. And and creating the best product that we can create, mm. hand on heart that we go, fucking, it makes, you know, makes me so happy to see that what we've created yeah. come to fruition, come to life. And people review that and, and give us that quality mm. feedback. That's success to me. And what about like getting your product in Selfridges? You know, Selfridges is one of the best brands in the world. To get into that shop in London, how did that feel? Fuck, um, it's surreal, really. Mm. You know, these are these these kind of department stores that you grow up with, that you mm. understand that are the kind of creme de la creme. creme yeah. they're, they're at the pinnacle. Yeah. You know, the Harrods and Harvey mm. Nicks and Selfridges, it's prestigious. Mm. And we've got in there so quick as well. If you look at us as a business in terms of uh, how mature we are as a business. Six years old from, five, from the first five, idea. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, six from the yeah. first idea. So, you know, and we're mixing it with the big boys. I think mm. we kicked Canada Goose out yeah. in Birmingham, out of their fucking bit. It was like, <laughs> Fucking step aside. Do one. She's brilliant, you know. But <laughs> quality. For for us, the quality generally it will speak for itself, mm. you know. And if you've got a big enough kind of backing and, and, and in terms of followers and people wearing it and the reviews mm. and you know we've got an amazing. Uh, I saw of, the other day two and a half thousand five star reviews. 
Yeah, well, that's special. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's up to sort of I think almost five thousand reviews now. Everything, it's up to five, yeah, and it's it's incredible. That's you know, brilliant. really, really fucking good. So Selfridges was a special moment, a mm. pinch, a pinch me moment, where you kind of walk in and we set up our thing that's completely different. It's unique. It's through dark and the store activation, and you know, we we did a um, an activation. So it was in London. Then we did one in Birmingham, and we did this event, and they were like, "Fucking, we've never seen this many people turn up to an event before." Because we've got a hardcore following of people that have been with us and believed in us, and we're super thankful of those people as well because they've been on that journey with us and this was a, a friday bank holiday at night mm. you know you everybody's normally got plant people fucking turn up in, yeah. in their droves to support us and it which is incredible mate really what was that last tv show you're on in australia so the sas show i yeah. did um so the, the recent one is uh sas australia yep um if we take sort of one step back a, a, two, a couple of years ago, I went on the SAS UK version, Channel 4. As a mole at the start, wasn't Yeah, it? terrible mole. Terrible, terrible mole. Well, <laughs> fucking hiding in plain sight, mate. <laughs> the fuck? Um, we were asked, in fact, the, the initial phone, so Fox has been on the program and, yeah. and, and everybody that we knew. And yeah. So we had the phone call initially to provide clothing for the recruits. We had this conversation with the, with the costume department. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, mm. long story short, that wasn't going to happen. Not something we were interested in supporting, i.e. giving the recruits clothing because, you know, we had Foxy and other people wearing the clothing. So, end phone call. And about 10 minutes later, the phone rings again. Same per same person. All right? Yeah, listen, uh, we've been chatting internally and with the casting directors and staff and would you ever consider coming on the show? Fuck it, not a chance. Mm. Fucking, nah, not interested. Super busy. Fucking, no, don't want to do it. Yeah. Fucking, leave it. Phone down. And so they had that moment of looking at Louis like yeah. this. He's him sort of saying to me, what, what was that? Well, they just asked if we're interested in going on the show. And I think the penny dropped for us both at the same time. Like, might be a good think, idea. It might be a fucking good idea, you know, from a marketing <laughs> yeah, perspective. Of course, you know, of course. Because when you're first starting a business, fuck it, funds are tight. Yep. And you have to be really, really slow. You're spending it like your own money. Mm. Every fucking pound is mm. accounted for. And... And we were like, what a huge opportunity that could be for the brand. And it was like, we had that, that moment of, well, you do it then. Mm. No, you do it. <laughs> no, you fucking do it. No, I'm not doing it. Well, you do it. Yeah. Oh, fuck. And, yeah. you know, uh, and at the time Jay was with us, Jay ended up doing it. And then- Jay he, Morton. Yes. Yeah, so yep. And then Jay did it yep. for a year. Then he left the, the company. He was with us for a bit. Then he left to do his own stuff. Mm. So then it's me and Louis. And then fast forward another year, phone rings again. Started, and in fact, I went for the process as well so me and jay got it was down to me and jay they'd also introduced some other people mm. from from um from from the same background it got down to me and jay and i sort of remember thinking i, I, I don't really yeah. want to do it but i'll do it mm. i can see the benefit and then jay got the job and i was like oh, relief mm. brilliant and he was the perfect guy for it mm. brilliant anyway fast forward a year he's not on the next one they call me again do you fancy doing it like oh not this again oh fuck well it worked really well we saw the benefit and the kickback yeah from that uh, marketing um, thing from from the show and what yeah. that brought in terms of website flow sales yeah. and it was like oh okay right let's do it so I, and they said look we loved your interview last time we loved everything just would would you do it yeah okay let's do it so I went through that process did it all went in as a mole uh, came out and then I was DS had an amazing time with the lads you know I'm now back in working with Ant and Foxy yeah, and the guys yeah. it's yeah. fucking like a big boys reunion it was brilliant loved the show didn't you know like how things ended so much in terms of Ant was leaving the show and yeah. and and it was a bit fractured and, and bits and pieces why and why was it fractured I think that there was a lot of um fucking bureaucracy and a lot of bullshit and a lot of you can't do this you can't say that don't do this and at the end of the day what we wanted to do was deliver the most authentic special forces yeah. tv program to the viewers and then 
over time that develops and grows and safety and can't do this don't say that and okay. in the end it starts getting diluted okay. and it's fucking turns of the British Bake Off and you yeah. just think what the fuck are we doing here and I didn't need to do it I'd already achieved that aim of getting that audience you know <laughs> fucking you know but that's what it was going like and there's yeah. times where you just think what the fuck is going on yeah, here okay. and we're sort of looking at who each who had other. the rights to it then who owns the rights to that show Channel 4 Channel 4 okay and can they Sell the rights to other countries. So that's where that's where we're going. So they do. So they sell the rights to these different yeah. uh, countries, and and, and Australia picked it up. So then I went across with Australia and yeah. and all this kind of stuff. And Fox have got it now as well in, in the US. But I left that, and I was kind of like, look, I'm happy. I'm I, done. I, I'm done. Yeah. Achieved my aim. Yeah. Fucking brilliant. It raised my profile. Yeah, hugely, allowed. Um, it gave uh, afforded opportunities for me as well, which complemented the brand brilliantly, yeah. and it was win win. So. That was that was it, and then Australia came up last year. I was actually on my honeymoon uh, at the time with Ruby, and getting the phone call. I remember having the interview in the room with one of the casting directors, and was like, "Fucking hell, this looks like it might be going ahead." And you know, and very thankfully and kindly put in a nice word for me. And Lovely. next thing I'm on the show, we filmed him. that. Yeah, we yep. filmed that out in Jordan in March, and it was fucking brilliant. It was me and Jay and Ollie Ollerton, and it oh, was mate. fucking. Perfect. How long for? Uh, about three weeks. Three weeks. It okay. was incredible. We had such a What's good time. What's the difference of the that one compared to the British one? It's better. <laughs> In what way? Was there more budget? Did they have? What were yeah. They so more, for more? me, it's that it's that it's that unshackling of allowing and and the team to do what they the want freedom. to fucking do. Okay. Freedom to deliver yeah. the most authentic course that we can deliver, yeah. and that's what they did. They said, "Look." fucking go do your thing and gave them him the confidence and reassurance and us like working with Ant and and you know Ant does a fantastic job on that show with producing and directing and, and is he and properly involved he's, he? yeah he has to be yeah. we have to be he's the talisman for yeah, it he okay. absolutely is and we're there to support him you know through that and it's it was like a fucking breath of fresh air. It is. What do you oh, want wow. to do? How do we do this? What's what's the most authentic way to do this? Well, this, this. Okay, but got a few things that we need to work around. And mm. yeah, yeah, whatever. We'll work with you. And it was fucking brilliant. Mate. And that comes across through yeah. the show. It's fucking authentic and it's brilliant. And is there going to be a part two to that part three? How does it work? Um, Don't know. If it get depending on viewing figures, it's going really well yeah. apparently. Uh, and that will really depend on on whether it gets commissioned again. Um, it might be getting commissioned again. Yeah. Who knows? Um, and then hopefully I'll be a part of the team again. That's quality, mate. Yeah. Stas, I've really enjoyed this, mate. No, thank you, mate. Fucking brilliant. I love having a conversation with you. Yeah, yeah mate. This good. is a blinder. Where can people find you, Stas? So, usual sort of social media platform, Stas Through Dark. Um, and then, yeah, it's, it's social media platforms, Instagram. Yeah. And I'm not that active on Facebook and TikTok and bits and pieces. The yeah. main one is Instagram. So, Insta. yeah. Anyone out there, definitely go and follow Stas. So, Stas, where can people buy the book from? Mate, yeah, so the book is out now. It's fucking live. Go grab it. It's available on the usual stuff, the Amazons and uh, Waterstones. It's also available on Audible. So obviously this is the hardback version, uh, but the audio is pretty interesting. So the audio had like a lot of um, amazing contributions from people. So after most chapters, not all chapters, there's an interesting guest and yourself being one dodge and thank you for that contribution <laughs> so mate. after each chapter I sort of get somebody in that I know and that you know that I like and we talk about generally the chapter but also how that integrates it's like a mini podcast 20 minutes long and yeah. we've got yourself we've got Foxy Nims mm. Aldo you know Mark Ormrod um, Aldo K all these different yeah. people that and Steve Clark the investor yeah. to sort of add their flavour and piece to it so the audio is uh, special as well so mate. yeah and, and I appreciate it thank you to everybody who who's ordered uh, so far. Um, I, I really appreciate Stairs, it. There's you're a proper character, support. mate. I love this part too. 
Thank you, man. And I'm sure there'll be a part three coming soon. Yes, mate. You're a gentleman. Cheers, brother. Good man. Thanks, Cheers, Tom. mate. Good man. <laughs>